All right. Well, hello there, Crossroads family. It is so good to be with all of you here this weekend. And whether you are with us here in person or online, thanks for choosing to spend your time with us. And like Mark said, my name is Ben Stewart. I'm with Uncharted International. First of all, I just want to say thank you to the leadership of Crossroads and to Pastor Phil just for this opportunity, just to be with you guys in this way. I do count it an honor. I know it can be a little bit awkward to have a guest speaker speak at you for, you know, 30 minutes or so. So just to give a little bit of context for the connection, the relationship, uh, the friendship that exists between uh, Uncharted and Crossroads. So uh, Pastor Mark said that I, my family and I, we moved here actually about four years ago. We exchanged the very boring, mundane mountains of Colorado for the exciting, adventurous, wide open spaces of Indiana and um, have had the pleasure of being part of Uncharted International for the last few years. And a big part of that has been a great friendship and partnership and relationship with Crossroads, with you guys. So I don't even know if you know that, but um, I, and, and I want to say thank you to you guys um, for the way that you support not just what God is doing through the partnership with Uncharted, but really what God is doing through the Crossroads family globally through partnership with a lot of great individuals and organizations. There's certain realities that you guys as, as a church are responding to. We believe Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. And yet there are over 3 billion, billion people who lack access to the good news of Jesus. And so at Uncharted, what we're all about is we're all about multiplying disciples in some of the most extremely unreached, overlooked parts and peoples in the world by partnering with the global church. That includes you. And um, you guys have been a partner with Uncharted for several years. There's a ton of great stuff that I, I could report back to you. I'm just going to give you one highlight. Uh, we work in a few different parts of the world, but one is in Myanmar and Southeast Asia. And uh, just in this year alone, despite COVID, which is hitting the world, as we all know, uh, we have a growing number of national men and women, church planters in Myanmar, who are doing, God is using to do amazing things despite of what's happening. Um, even just since January, over 3,000 people have had the opportunity to hear the gospel through the ministry of these few men and women. Hundreds of those have received Jesus, and we've seen dozens and dozens of small groups or house churches planted in these villages and communities. Um, one of my favorite stories, though, briefly, is this. One of our church planters, his name is Jonah Zanwin, says, Jonah owns land in a nearby village called Chiakan. There are four believers, four believers there, along with several refugee families and victims of war from Chin and the Rakhine states. Jonah built a bamboo house on the land he owns and is allowing them all to live there. He's been traveling there regularly, bringing bags of rice and other necessities. And he's developed a good rapport with the village and is able to share the gospel freely. That's just one simple illustration of the type of global engagement that you guys and global impact that you guys as Crossroads family are having through partnerships with organizations like Uncharted. So I want to say thank you for that. Hopefully that gives a little bit of context too, just for who I am and the, the uh, history that exists between Crossroads and Uncharted. As much as I love talking about all of that, I am really thrilled that we get to continue this series that you guys have been in for a while, the Gospel of John. I think it's fantastic that you've been hanging out in the Gospel of John. And more recently in chapters 16 and 17, 
And last week, Andrew Bondurant did a fantastic job of introducing what in chapter 17 is Jesus's prayer. Jesus's prayer for his disciples, Jesus's prayer for his followers. And last week in the first half, Andrew did a great job of leading us through what is it that Jesus prays for, for his disciples. And so today we're going to pick up on that. We're going to be uh, hanging out in the second half of John chapter 17. I have to warn you, just, we just kind of jump all around because there's these themes that are interwoven. There goes my Bible. It's okay. It's happened once or twice before. That's why there's duct tape. Um, so if you have a Bible, don't drop it. But open it to John chapter 17 or turn it on to John chapter 17. Some of the passages will be up there. But we're going to be looking at the second half of Jesus' prayer. And we're actually going to overlap a little bit with where Andrew was last week by picking up in verses 15, 16, 17, and 18 and talking about this idea of sanctification. Now, this idea of sanctification, in the, in the version of Christianity that I grew up with, sanctification sort of equated to or brought up these ideas of completely isolating, which was something that Andrew talked about last week, completely withdrawing yourself or removing yourself. But the reason I want to pick up with these verses where we ended last week is because it leads into the rest of John chapter 17 in a really crucial way. Jesus is praying sanctification over his disciples. And what we learn is that the reason why Jesus is praying sanctification over his disciples is because in Jesus' mind and heart, sanctification is always meant to lead to mission. In other words, the purpose of sanctification is sentness. So while we might be tempted to view this word or this concept, concept of sanctification as something to withdraw, something to remove, something to isolate ourselves, the prayer of Jesus is the exact opposite. No, I want this sanctification to lead to sentness. Last week, Andrew gave a great example or illustration of this idea of sanctification using the, the concept of brushes, right? That we, we designate we relegate different types of brushes for different sorts of reasons, that you wouldn't use your toilet brush as your toothbrush. That's just disgusting. And this is the idea that what Jesus is saying is, I want you sanctified, I want you set apart for this particular reason of sentness. And so this is where we kind of left off last week in verses 15, 16, 17, and 18, and we got to pick up with that theme because of what happens in verse 20. There's something really amazing that happens in verse 20. It says, Jesus continues his prayer and he says, I do not ask, I do not ask on behalf of these alone. In other words, now father, he's praying to his father, I'm not asking or praying for just these 12 here alone, verse 20. I do not ask for these alone, but for those also who believe in me through their word. But for those also who come after, in other words. You know who he's talking about? You. Me. We are the living fruit of Jesus' prayer. And, and, and it's important for us to catch verse 20 for a couple of reasons. That first of all, when Jesus is praying for his 12 disciples, notice that what verse 20 reflects and reveals about Jesus is that he believes his prayer is going to come true. 
He believes in his disciples. This is not some sort of wishful thinking type prayer. This is not some sort of like Jesus saying, oh boy, okay, God help them. Good luck, Peter. Have at it, Matthew. No, Jesus is, this is going to happen. There will be fruit from the sentness of these 12, and that's you and me. Maybe you need to hear this this morning. Jesus believes in his followers. Not only that, though, the reason why this is important is because now the scope or, or the focus of Jesus' prayer broadens. It widens to include us. So this is actually a really tender moment that's taking place here. I don't know if you've ever had that experience where somebody asks you, okay, I want, hey, uh, how can I be praying for you? So you share one or two things. And, you know, typically in our Christian culture, what we say is, okay, great, good to know. Thanks for sharing. I'll be praying for you. And then we go on with our day. And, and that's fine. And, you know, you trust and assume that that person will actually pray for you. But every once in a great while, there's somebody who says, okay, great, let me pray for you right now. And you're like, wait, what, right now? My wife's great at this. I mean, we'll be in the middle of an airport or a restaurant or whatever. And she's like, you know, calling down thunder on people while she's praying over them. This is, this is that sort of prayer. This is that sort of moment where Jesus says, I'm going to pray for this for you right now. This is not a cliche prayer. This is not a, hey, you've been hanging out in my living room for too long, so how can I pray for you so that you leave my house type of prayer. This is a moment where Jesus, imagine this. It's like Jesus put, puts his hand on your shoulder. He says, hey, I'm going to pray for you right now. That's verse 20. And so the rest of John 17 is Jesus's prayer for you, for me, for us collectively as his followers. So a good question to ask would be, well, then what does he pray for? What is top of mind for Jesus? What is in his heart that he prays for for us? And what we're going to see briefly is there are two primary points or two primary aspects that Jesus prays over us that lead to or culminate into a third uh, culmination of his prayer. And so the first thing that we see, we've already mentioned because it's connected to this idea of sanctification. The first point is this idea of sentness. Sentness. Five times Jesus prays for and talks to the Father about sent, being sent, sentness. Why? Why does Jesus pray over you this idea of sentness? Because Jesus knows the heart of the Father. Jesus knows the heart of the Father. Jesus knows that the heart of the Father, that the Father is a mission-focused God, that God's mission is to redeem and restore all of creation back to himself. In fact, earlier in John 3, we see Jesus, it's a verse that we all probably know, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. But then in 17, the very next verse, Jesus goes on to talk about how he was sent not to condemn the world but to save the world. Throughout the whole gospel of John, G Jesus identifies himself or is identified as the sent one. Friends, 
God has a mission to redeem and restore creation back to himself. And Jesus identifies him as the way, truth, and life. Jesus identifies himself as the sent one to accomplish that mission. And in John chapter 17 last week that Andrew highlighted for us in verse 4, Jesus says, I have accomplished the work which you gave me to do, Father. I have come and I have lived the perfect life of righteousness that none of us could ever dream to live. I have come and I have suffered and I have been persecuted and I have gone to the cross and I have died a real death. But then, like we sang about, I have risen again in victory. I have broken and defeated the power of sin and death. And I have ushered into, I have ushered and created the way back to the Father. Mission accomplished. But now, in this prayer in John 17, it's as though Jesus is turning to us. And he's saying, The mission continues through you. You see, friends, just like it was for Jesus, being a sent one is our identity. Mission is not an activity. Mission is not relegated for an elect few who get to get on a plane and go and go to all these crazy places and talk about Jesus. It's not for an elect few who get to stand on the platform and preach. We are all, by nature of being followers of Jesus, participants in God's mission. The question is not, are you on mission? You are. The question is, how much are you allowing that to influence your life? Your identity is a sent one. In John chapter 17, what's happening is Jesus is turning to his followers and he's saying, now the mission continues through you. You know what this is called? Church. The church is the primary means through which God chooses to complete his mission. A pastor and writer, J.D. Greer, says it this way, the church is now Jesus' vehicle for the completion of his mission. Without the mission, a church is not a church. It's just a group of disobedient Christians hanging out. He said it, not me. But it's kind of true. We are sent ones. It's our identity. Now, a concern I have for myself, a concern I have for the church as a whole, is that sometimes in my life, If I'm being honest with myself, if I'm being honest with you, sometimes in my life, the way that I live my day reflects more that I think Jesus actually was praying for my comfort more than my sentness. In other words, a concern I have for myself and a concern I have for us as followers of Jesus is that we've bought into this lie, especially in the Western culture, that Jesus is more concerned about my comfort. He's more concerned about my flourishing. He's more concerned about my my ease. He's more concerned about having a happy chipper life. He's more concerned about everything just being nice and tidy and neat and good than he is about my sentness. Friends, Jesus doesn't pray for comfort over us. He prays for sentness. How much are we allowing this identity as sent ones to influence and shape the life that God has called you to live today? And Jesus gives us these 
beautiful illustrations of what living as a sent one looks like. Lots of examples throughout the Gospels. Maybe one of my favorite is Mark chapter 1. In Mark chapter 1, it describes in verse 21, Jesus entering into the synagogues, and it says he began to teach there. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. He talked about the kingdom of heaven is here. Moving through verse 21 and 22 and 23, he comes out of the synagogue, and then he goes into a home a place of relationship, a place of intimacy, a place of connectivity. And in that place, he begins to heal. He begins to cast out demons. He begins to restore. And the ministry of Jesus impacts every aspect of of, of humanity and creation. In other words, Jesus declares the kingdom of heaven is here, and Jesus demonstrates what that kingdom is impact looks like. As sent one, friends, as you go sent into your neighborhood, as you go sent into your family, into your workplace, into your schools, into whatever context it is that God has sent you, what does it look like to declare and demonstrate the kingdom of heaven is here? So Jesus prays this sentness over us. And it leads into and is actually very connected to the second aspect of Jesus' prayer, which is this idea of oneness, oneness. Five times in this part of the prayer, Jesus talks about oneness or unity. In my translation, I'm using NASB, by the way. In my translation, it talks about oneness. So why would Jesus not only pray over us this idea of sentness, but why does he pray over us for unity, for oneness. Because Jesus knows that the success of our mission is contingent on the depth and the health of our oneness. When you read in John chapter 17, verses like verse 21, where it says, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you, that they may also be in us. That Why? That the world may believe you did send me. Verse 23, I am in them and you are in me, that they may be perfected in what? Unity. Why? That the world may know that you did send me. So Jesus begins to describe this really beautiful picture of unity. And it's sort of one of those things where it's like, so is God in us and Jesus is in him and then we're on them. And yes. And Jesus says, there's, a, there's this inseparable connection between the quality and the depth and the genuineness of your unity that cannot be broken from your sentness. If you want to live successfully the mission that God has put us all on to redeem and restore creation back to himself, then we must be, as the body of Christ, one and unified. They are inseparable. But what's crucial about this unity that Jesus is describing, he qualifies it. This isn't just unity around or through or as a result of just kind of whatever. He qualifies it. 
And like we read in verse 21 and 23 and other parts of that prayer, what we realize is that Jesus is saying the type of unity that I long for my followers to have is the same type of unity that I experience with you, Father. In other words, this unity is a unity of being, not of purpose or activity. It's a unity based off of being, not just purpose or activity. This is a type, this type of unity between the Father, Son, and Spirit that has existed before time, that exists today, and that will exist for all eternity is both the model for us, but also the empowerment for our unity. It's the model in that when we see the relationship between Father, Son, Spirit, it exemplifies for us submission. The unity that Jesus is praying for us is a unity that is lived out in submission to each other. It's a laying aside of rights, comforting, Focus on mission, intimacy, and vulnerability. It serves as a model, but it also serves as the source and power of our unity. Friends, hear this. It is only the power of the Spirit in us, the righteousness of Jesus through us, and the grace of the Father upon us that can ultimately unify his bride. I mean, why do you think the enemy works overtime to cause so much division, to cause so much brokenness, to stir up so much gossip, to lead to so much hurt in the church? I have to say that, you know, as, as an outsider coming in the last four years, but also as someone who's grown up in ministry, my dad was a pastor. I've been a pastor at churches. Now I work in ministry alongside churches. It's, there's a uniquely high level of division and hurt and pain in the tri-state area among the body of Christ. Friends, it's time. It's time to break those generational sins. It's time to break the, 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 the chains that exist over this place. It's time to lay down whatever it is that's preventing us as a community of Christ followers and seek restoration and seek healing and seek a unity that is only empowered by the Spirit of God within us. So look, friends, if we are counting on, if we are counting on a national allegiance to unify us, you will be disappointed. If you are counting on a particular political party to unify us, you will be disappointed. If you are counting on a, a, a particular cause or a, or a particular social issue to unify us, you will be disappointed. One that gets me is if I'm counting on a particular vision or mission, let's go, you will be disappointed. If you're counting on a particular theological stance to unify us, you will be disappointed. Nations, nor politics, nor theology, nor mission, nor vision can unify the people of God. It is Jesus.
Jesus. Father, Spirit, Lord. And Jesus knows. <laughs> he knows that when the world sees this, they will marvel. He says, When I am in them and you are in me, that they may be perfected in unity, that the world may know that you did send me and did love them even as you love me. Friends, when the world sees, sees us forgive each other in a way that doesn't make sense, they will marvel. When the world sees us serve each other sacrificially, when the world sees us love our enemies and bless those who curse us, when the world sees us show kindness to the marginalized, when the world sees us confess and mourn our sins with each other, when the world sees us give so radically and generously to the things of God, God's kingdom, when the world sees us lay aside our rights, they will marvel and they will know that Jesus is here. Friends, when Jesus puts his hand on you and prays over you. He prays for sentness because he knows the heart of his father to redeem and restore creation back to himself. But he also prays for oneness because the success of our mission is contingent on the depth and genuineness of our unity. But to what end? To what end? And I love that the prayer doesn't end here, that actually there's another word repeated five times, and it's this word love, this word love, where he said again in verse 23, he prays for our unity that the world may know that you did send me and you do love them. And then skipping down to verse 26, the last part of Jesus' prayer, I have made your name known to them and will make it known that the love with which you loved me may be in them. It's important to end on this note because the point of our unity and our sentness is not to prove our rightness or complete a conquest. The point of our sentness is not just to complete a conquest. The point of our unity isn't just to show that we're more right and they're more wrong. The point of why we engage in mission, the point of why we lay aside our rights, the point of why we forgive each other even when it doesn't make sense, the point of why we don't engage in gossip in ways that, that, that break the foundation of the church, the, the reason for those things are not the ends in and of themselves. The ends is so that people will know and experience and enjoy the love of the Father for which they were intended to enjoy in the very beginning. It's the Father's love. Not just like this mamby-pamby sort of kumbaya type of love, but the type of love that Jesus prays about where he says, I experienced this love before the foundation of the world. We can taste that. 
We can experience that. We can live in that now. Friends, this is why we engage as sent ones and live in unity. Because we live in a world that is longing to experience and live in and know that God loves them. So today, church, let's listen to the prayer of Jesus. Pray it over you and me. Let's embrace and live out the identity that he has prayed over us as sent ones. Let's look to the spirit for the strength and the power to live unified. For this beautiful purpose of showing the world what the love of the Father looks like. Let me pray for us. God, I thank you For your word, I thank you um, just for this unique moment, this unique capture of Jesus' heart for us. This wasn't a prayer that was prayed a couple thousand years ago that is kind of relevant then. This is actually a prayer that reflects your heart for us today. Forgive me, God, for the times that I have pursued comfort over sentness. Forgive me, God, for the things that I've engaged in that have been opposed to the idea of oneness. And God, thank you that you pour your grace and mercy. You demonstrate it to us every day. Thank you for the love that we live in from you. And for the opportunity now, today, to go demonstrate that love to the world. In your name, amen.